Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, this morning we continue our series, the second week of our series called Recover, Becoming Who You Were Created to Be. Becoming who you were created to be. You see, we are not typically who we are created to be because of there was this original pandemic that injected us all with sin and made us into something we were never meant to be. But in that, even in that disaster, there is the grace and love of God to provide a Savior, to provide a cure, to provide something we could possibly not even imagine, the depth of the love of God had it not been for sin and salvation. We never would have known God's love if we had never sinned and know that we needed a Savior, know that we needed a cure. Well, today I want to talk about, I want to talk about that first time when you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That first time when you recognized your need for Jesus. Remember when you first tested positive for COVID? Most of you probably have had it once or twice or more times than you can think of, right? Remember when that, you got that, before the test, everything was cool. Everything was fine. You were kind of doing your life. Yeah, it was annoying. Maybe you, you were shut down for a while, but you were, you were kind of functioning and you were, you were going about your daily stuff. You're trying to stay distant. Maybe, maybe you were wearing a mask, doing different things. But the reality was you really still were kind of living And then one day, you got a little sick, or you got exposed, and you took a test, and you found out you had it. It was stunning, wasn't it? I mean, I knew I felt a little sick the first time I tested positive. I knew I felt it maybe not like I should, and I couldn't taste Cheez-Its and chocolate like I normally do, but I didn't know that I was going to test positive, and I was surprised. When you see that positive test result come back, it changes things, doesn't it? Your first thought is, am I going to die? Maybe. Or, I knew I shouldn't have talked to that guy. He sneezed on me. How could he have done that? I bet that guy didn't wash his hands. The nerve of him to breathe around me. Did you think that? You didn't because you were people are holy. But some people thought that, or maybe you thought it a more holy. You thought, man, I, I, would, ugh, I, hope I, didn't, I hope I didn't greet someone with an underlying issue. I wish I hadn't come as close to that person who I know has some issues physically. And, and, I, and you start thinking, who did I possibly, who did I possibly expose? Testing positive changes things, doesn't it? But you know what? We all, 100% of us, are infected by the virus of the original pandemic. Only a lot of people don't realize it. They don't really know that they're infected with sin. They don't even know that they're 100% going to die from this virus. Or we don't live like it. That's why it's so important 
as we approach the scripture, as we consider who Jesus is, it's so important that we say, Jesus, I, I want to I wanna understand who I am relative to you. I want to understand. I want to understand what it means to test positive. So today we're going to see that in the life of Simon Peter. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. If you're new to us, we always preach through sections of Scripture. Uh, very seldom do we just do a topic. Uh, today we are in this series called Recover It. Incidentally, just an uh, important note, if you're doing the beginnings course, you will recognize these passages because we're going to be covering these same passages in the beginnings course. And so this will give you kind of a leg up and you already kind of have a head start as you come into this course. But Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Let me just set the tone for you. Jesus did a lot of his ministry in the northern part of Israel. There's this big lake called the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Gennesaret. It's about Oh, five or 10 by 13. It's actually longer than it is wide. And uh, it's a freshwater lake, but it's below sea level. And there are mountains or really just kind of hills around it. And so if you get down by the lake and you turn and face the land, it's kind of a nice uh, amphitheater kind of setting. And the, the sound kind of travels pretty good over there. And that's a good setting. And Jesus is walking by this, what they call the lake or the sea of Galilee. And he is, the crowd is starting to press around him. He's begun his ministry. He's starting to become known. He's been healing some people. And so that's the setting that's happening. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, I don't recommend this. I don't recommend going down to the marina today. And just picking a random boat and just sitting in it and just starting to teach. People wouldn't like that a lot. But I love the fact that Jesus is entering the workplace here. He's going where the people are. And as the people are pressing in around him, he's looking for an opportunity to teach. And he sees these fishermen and he knows Simon, incidentally. And he sees Simon's boat and he gets in Simon's boat and, and he asks him to push out a little bit from the shore so that he can sit down and teach. Now to us, it seems odd because it seemed like you would want to stand up and project. But in those days, teachers or rabbis would typically sit. That was kind of a place of honor. They would sit and teach. And so he's sitting in this boat, probably about 25 to 30 feet long, a wooden boat, which you can actually see if you go to Galilee. You can see a boat very similar to this that they found in the mud that they date back to this time period. It's very interesting. Um, and you can, you can actually see what it looked like. It's an open boat about 27 feet long. Jesus sits down in this boat and he tells Peter, push off a little bit so that I can speak um, to the people. It's interesting. Peter already knows Jesus. So he's not a stranger coming saying, hey, let me have your boat. Peter had just in chapter 4, we see that Peter and some friends had heard Jesus teach and had been impressed by Jesus. And they had even asked, asked Jesus to come to Peter's mother-in-law's house to heal her because she had a really bad fever. And Jesus heals her so much so that she gets up and she fixes dinner. Praise God for that, right? I mean, you, knew, you know, if you recover from a fever, you're probably not ready to fix dinner. But Jesus heals her so much that she gets up 
and she starts fixing dinner. So Peter has seen Jesus in action. He has heard Jesus speak. He has seen Jesus heal. And Peter's probably amazed by all that. But none of this transformed Peter. Really important for us to get this. You can hear about Jesus. You can hear the Bible taught. You can know some amazing people. You can go to church. You can come and really enjoy the music, enjoy singing the music, and you can enjoy being around the people. But none of that will necessarily transform you. Know this. One of the problems we have in churches today is that people often come simply to learn information and knowledge. And, you know, I loved, I loved hearing that new bit of information. I love getting some more knowledge. Listen, knowledge is great, but it doesn't necessarily transform you. There has to be, there has to be a personal experience with Jesus himself. Those things matter often in terms of getting you where you can actually follow Jesus, right? I mean, there are, no one comes to Jesus really just for one time thing. Usually it's a, it's a series of events and a series of people that are involved in your life and that have, that have led you to the place where you receive Jesus. And I think that's true for Peter. But know this, just as seeing Jesus, even seeing him personally for Peter didn't transform him. It didn't, it didn't even convict him yet. That's so important for us to see. We have to be brought to the place of belief through a personal experience. John 3.16, you all know it. For God so loved the world that whoever, that God so loved the world and he sent his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. That word believe is the key word. It's not belief in the sense that, you know, I believe the facts about Jesus. I believe the story of Jesus. I believe he was a real person. I believe all this stuff. But, it does, but what it means is, do I believe him to the point that I'm going to trust him with my very life? I'm going to trust him with my very life. On my bucket list is that walkway at the Grand Canyon. If you've been on it, I want to see you after the service. Um... It's called the Skywalk, isn't it? The Skywalk. And um, I would really like to go on the Skywalk, but I haven't gone on the Skywalk yet. I believe that the Skywalk exists, but I don't trust in the Skywalk yet because I haven't been out there to see it. And even if I showed up out there at the Grand Canyon and looked at the Skywalk and said, man, there it is, that's pretty awesome but didn't actually walk out on the skywalk, I don't trust the skywalk. You see what I'm saying? You could go out there and see it. You could see that it's, it's got a great foundation. You could watch the video on it on YouTube, and I have, and you can see how it's all put together, and you can see that this is really going to be very safe. But I have a fear of heights, as you know. I tend to want to jump off of things, and I just would have a hard time trusting it until I actually walked on it. Now, do you trust Jesus like that with your life? With your eternal life? Have you had that moment, that personal experience with him? That conviction? 
look at verse 5. But when he had, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon said, Master, that's a bad idea. And that's his response, right? He says, Master, you know, I know you know theology, but I know fishing. You know, that's what he's kind of saying, right? He says, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. It's not a good time to fish. We just got done fishing. We've been cleaning our nets, which you may wonder, what, how do nets get actually dirty if they're in the water? Well, it's debris, seaweed, algae, uh, driftwood, all that kind of stuff. They're cleaned, all that stuff. And he goes, master, which is cool, because he says, you are the master. We toiled all night, and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. I love that. You ever do that? Jesus, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work at all. Maybe he's prompted you to have a conversation that would just be encouraging to draw someone to Christ. You're like, this is, this is not going to work. And you've walked into the room thinking, I don't think this is going to work. And you're just faithful and God does something amazing. That's what Peter's doing. I don't think this is going to work, but you're the master. And oh, by the way, I've seen you do some really cool stuff. So maybe this is the wrong time of the day to catch fish. You catch fish in the, in the late evening early morning. You don't generally catch fish during the day. This is a bad idea for a number of reasons, but if you want us to do it, we're going to do it because I've seen you do amazing things. That's what he's saying. And when he had done this, verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Think about this. They have this 27-foot boat they have the nets are beginning to break and they signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boats so that they began to sink. I've heard some fishing stories before. But I've never heard someone say, you know, we caught so many fish that the boat man, was beginning to sink. You know, I, no one believes that, right? This is the catch of a lifetime. It's incredible. Jesus had pushed deeper into Peter's world. He wasn't just in his boat by the seashore. Now he's asked Peter to actually get into what he actually does on a daily basis. I love that about Jesus. He goes where we are. He speaks the language that we speak. I think it's so fun to go to someone's workplace or go to their, their favorite hobby and to see them in a different setting, see something that they really enjoy. Years ago, I had a friend who's an attorney. He's a great golfer, and I would see him in church as just a normal, nice guy. But man, we got on the golf course. The guy was amazing. He could hit the ball around a tree. I mean, all the way around, so it came, no, just, just around it like that. It was amazing. It's great to see people in their setting, to see them in their workplace, to see what they're really good at, to what they really know. And so Jesus has pushed into what Peter really, really knows, and he has taught him something, hadn't he? He's taught him something amazing. And this catch could have changed Peter's financial life and his partners. This would have literally set them up for many, many years if they had gone and sold all these fish. They, they could have really changed. This is what you always dream about, some incredible catch. It's some incredible windfall. It's some incredible deal that you've closed. But Peter doesn't go and sell the fish. 
He does something else. Verse 8. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James, John, the sons, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. What do you do at that moment of conviction? This is something absolutely amazing. Jesus has shown me something about him that I never understood, that I never, I've seen him do amazing things, but now he's in my world, he's functioning in my business, and he's showing me something that could never happen. He can call fish to show up to be caught. It's incredible. Peter doesn't worship the fish. He doesn't call his banker. He doesn't try to make a fortune. He bows at the feet, at the knees of Jesus as he's seated in that boat. And he says, oh, Lord, I am a sinful man. Depart from me. It's this idea that I can't be in your presence. It's, I, I've been exposed for who I am. It's this point of conviction that absolutely is astounding. Have you had that point? What did it look like for you? I love the story of C.S. Lewis. He describes when it happened to him in his book, Surprised by Joy. He says, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene. Night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared and it had at last come upon me. And in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God. And I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Is that what it looked like for you? Were you resistant? Did you stay away from the conviction of God and, and he just kept coming? He would not let you go. I remember as a nine-year-old boy in the back row of a Baptist church just thinking, I just got to survive this service. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be okay. I mean, he's a little nine-year-old. He didn't know a lot, but I knew he was coming for me. And I knew he wanted to draw me to himself. And he was unrelenting. And there came that point of conviction. I could say no, no longer. And I said yes to Jesus. Happened to Billy Graham, the preaching of Mordecai Lamb, Lottie Moon, the preaching of John Broadus, the, one of the co-founders of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, see, that moment of conviction is testing positive. It's testing positive for the virus of sin. It tells you something you never knew before. I love the book, uh, Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. And he talks about if you're going to change, you have to get to the point of hopelessness. Hopelessness. You have to realize that there's no way you can possibly change any other way than to be, realize that it's hopeless the way that I'm going. He says this. Um, he says, the first step that will motivate you to do what is necessary is to see that what you're doing has no hope of getting you what you want. 
When that happens, you will instantly feel an epiphany. You realize that to get where you want to get, you must make a change. You really get it that to continue to do what you are doing is hopeless, and you will begin to see motivation to make a change appear. You see, Jesus exposes the hopelessness in our situation when we experience him. That's what happens. We don't experience Jesus and say, oh, thank you for adding to my life your greatness. I was on the right track already, but you just gave me that little push that I needed. I was already good, but Jesus, you made me a little bit better. No. We have to get to the place where we experience the greatness of Jesus and we realize, I got no hope. I got no hope. I think it's important also to notice that Peter is not confessing a specific sin. He doesn't say, oh, Jesus, I, I feel really bad because I just really wanted to murder John and James a minute ago. Matter of fact, I would have done it if I had a knife. That's, it's not it at all. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I feel bad now that I, you know, that I really wanted to commit adultery, that I stole something. That's not it at all. Peter says, this is who I am. I, in your presence, Jesus, I recognize that I am absolutely a sinner. I'm absolutely aware of my identity, of the fact that because of my sin, I identify as a sinner. Verse 10, how does Jesus respond to this? Are you worried how Jesus will respond if you admit that you're a sinner? Never think about that? Well, I can't admit that. I've been a follower of Jesus. I've been to church for a long time. I, I act like I'm a godly person. I can't admit that I'm a sinner. He already knows. He already knows. Verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. It's not the reaction you'd expect. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's at the point of conviction that we become eligible, qualified to follow Jesus. It's not at the point where you say, I'm a good person. It's not at the point where you say, I've got a great history. It's not at the point where you say, hey, Jesus, I cleaned my life up and now I'm ready to follow you. It's not at the point that you talk about your heritage. It's at the point where you say, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. That's when you become eligible. If you don't pass through that doorway, you never follow Jesus. And Jesus' message is very simple. Listen, from now on, I want you to follow me, and you're going to be harvesting or capturing or helping men know me. I'm going to call men up from the depths of the sea or the depths of their lives, just like I called those fish into the nets. You just need to mind the nets. That's all you really need to do. From now on, I'm going to draw men into your nets. If you'll just trust me and put them down, even when you don't think it's a good idea or a good time, his life's about to change. It happens when Jesus invades our space, speaks our language. For Jesus, for Peter, it was the language of fishing. So he can speak your language as well. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, 
They left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything. Everything. They left their boats. They left their business. They left their co-workers. They left their equipment. And they left this incredibly valuable catch of fish. And they followed Jesus. Peter, James, and John. Get that. Because sometimes people will say something like, you know what, I I think to follow Jesus is kind of a narrow life and you need to have a broader view of the world and I don't know if I can really give up all this other stuff and I need to live a certain way, I need to have certain things and I don't know, how is he going to feed them? Listen, if you truly convicted and understand your life is totally hopeless without Jesus, there is nothing that will keep you from following. Sometimes what happens in people's lives is they, they, make, they have that point of conviction. They start to follow Jesus, and then they kind of file it away in the back of their filing cabinet of their life. And life gets really busy, and it gets really full, and we start to live like the rest of the world, and we forget what happened when we received Jesus as our Savior, when, when we became a new person, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, any man who is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, all things, old things have passed away, and all things have become new. You became a new person. Where is that person? Where is that person? Sometimes we push that person so far to the side, we forgot they're there. We forgot to live in that, as that person. And we start to think we need to leave, live as a person needs to earn the favor of Jesus. We need to impress God. We need to work hard for God. We need to do all these things. No, we need to live as that new person. That person that's connected, that's filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to live that way. Because if I truly experience Jesus, and if I truly experience my own hopelessness, there's nothing that would stand in the way. Nothing financial, no business, no relationship, no power, no hobby, no vice. There's nothing. He's worth it. He's absolutely worth it. So where are you today? You see, Jesus changes everything. Have you had that moment? Do you remember that moment? It doesn't happen all the time, but do you remember if, if you're married, there was probably a time when you fell in love. Do you remember that? Do you remember that there was something that, that was an incredible thing that happened Maybe it happened over time. Maybe it happened relatively suddenly. But there was a time when you said, I love this person and I want to be with this person. And you get married and you never, ever have another problem. Really, if you, if you don't, then you don't need to come to the marriage retreat. But if you do. But in marriage, there are some great moments that are even greater than the actual wedding ceremony. It doesn't happen all the time, but there are those times of remembrance. There are those times when you celebrate your love. There are those times when you grow in your love. You have great experiences together. To follow Jesus is similar. There are moments when you're going to remember what happened. And you're going to step back into that time of conviction. And you're going to appreciate who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's what we're going to have here in just a moment as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together.
See, Jesus said, take these elements. They represent me. They should remind you of what I have done and remind you of me. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. We want to be reminded that it cost him his body. It cost him his blood to save me because I was absolutely hopeless. But Jesus is absolutely perfect. And he offers us his blood and his body to save us. Is that where you're at today? If you're not sure, maybe you're in that boat where you've heard a lot about Jesus. Maybe you've even experienced some, but you've never trusted him with your life. You never said, Jesus, I'm going to depend on your goodness, not on my ability. Oh, I hope that today would be the day. Well, these elements aren't for you. They're for those who have had that moment, who have received Jesus Christ, who live repentant lives, who trust him daily to save them. It's a reminder of what he did. If you haven't received him yet, I would love to talk with you after the service and answer any questions that you have. Today may be a part of him drawing you into his life, to draw you into his salvation. Maybe that today is the day that you say yes. But for those of you who have been followers of Jesus, you have received his gift of salvation. You've repented of your sin. Today's a day to remember. To step back into that moment of salvation. To ask Jesus to remind you what he saved you from and what he saved you for. So we're going to pray. And we're going to take a moment to remember. And as we do, I want you to step back into those moments when you first received Jesus and repent of any known sin as you do. And when we get done with prayer, you're invited to come down both of these aisles and receive the elements and go back to your seat and we'll take them as a group in just a few moments. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out. We cry out.